talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie. Hello, and welcome back to the Shoeless Goat Podcast, Episode 4. We're a weekly Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick, and I'm joined by the returning. Mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard, after a week off. How you feeling, Pat? I'm doing pretty good. You know, away on a diplomatic trip, uh, visited the fine people of 134, so I'm back and ready to go. Excellent. So you went to a game or two, yeah? Yeah, I went to one of the games against uh, the Mariners uh, uh, about a week or so ago, the Saturday game. They lost it 2-9, uh, to nine, so kind of a rough game after the opening, the home opener win. So not what I wanted to see, but still it was a game, so can't complain about that. Yeah, it's good to be back home. So we'll get right into it. We do the weekly recap. I think the Sox played a couple more games than the Cubs, so you'll have a little bit more to say. But uh, take it away, Pat, with your Sox talk. Yeah, so this was a tale of two weeks for the Sox. It started off pretty rough. They lost four games in four days to the Mariners and Rays, uh, the Avi Garcia revenge series, so to speak. He went off on the Sox, got a home run, bunch of hits, and they just looked absolutely horrible in those games, not to mention – you had about 600 people apiece at each of those games because the Sox are playing April day games against Tampa Bay for whatever reason. That doesn't really make sense, but it is what it is. So the week did not start off well. Offense didn't look great. Pitching didn't look great. Starting or bullpen. Uh, there's not really much else to say about that Tampa Bay series. We got into the weekend, though, in the Yankees series. That was totally different. Ended up taking two or three from the Yankees, which is complete opposite. I was expecting after five losses in a row. Um, but you know, Friday night was a great game, a lot of home runs, including the first two from Eloy Jimenez, which was definitely one of the bigger stories of the week for the White Sox. Eloy had been hitting pretty well, but now finally getting the power going is something you really like to see at this point. Yesterday's game on, or yeah, Saturday's game, a little bit different. They only had one hit coming off the bat of Jose Rondon. So not exactly a great game for them. You know, Ivan Nova in his revenge game pitched pretty good. Uh, didn't give up any runs until... Uh, they Ricky, for some reason, pulled him in the seventh, gave up three in that inning, mostly because of a botched Yolmer double play, who has now, I think, five errors in 10 games, which is, again, not a number you want to see. Uh, luckily, though, they were able to bounce back today, a 5-2 win. Most of those runs coming off the bat of Tim Anderson, who hit a grand slam, so the bus driver uh, having an excellent end of the week. And in this Yankee series overall, starting pitching after a few rough games looked pretty good. You had Giolito. You know, not great Friday, but he did what he had to in a torrential downpour. Nova looked good at, overall. You know, this Yankee series is encouraging. This is kind of what we like to see. The younger guys hitting a little bit more. Uh, the pitching at least doing something. So they can look like that more th- and not as much like they looked against Tampa Bay. I'll take it the rest of the way. Yeah, I was pretty down on Ivan Nova last week if you tuned in. Um, comparing it to Matt Latos, and I have to take that back because that's just downright mean to say at this point taking two or three of the Yanks is killer yeah in New uh, York no I less mean, and then so it wasn't at home, it was in New York which in New York you know, maybe we got a little bit of assistance from the Little League fence out in right field but I'll take it didn't Johnny Damon hit 35 home runs there one year <laughs> you probably know more than that than me AL ball guy but uh I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised um and then they you could argue they should have actually swept the Yankees too because the Yankees didn't particularly no. play too well even in the game that they did win so yeah that was just you know uh, players uh, but, you know, overall, like you said, two out of three, I'll take it. 
Yeah, and it leaves the Sox at five at nine, which is the exact same record the Cubs have. But uh, I'll, I'll go into Cubs recap. I was in attendance for, I think, three or four of the games. So the opening uh, opening game against Pittsburgh was an absolute thrashing, 10 nothing. Jameson Tyone uh, did not get into the third inning. I think a little bit had to do with the fact that he was hit in the head with a line drive. I think it was from Anthony Rizzo and just continued to pitch, which I think is insanity. That'll do it. Uh, I think, and Drew Pomerantz, uh, Drew Pom- Pomerantz got hit in the face like during spring training too. And just like, they just keep letting him pitch, which I think is absolutely insanity. But the bats came alive. There was a day off on Tuesday when it was another, you know, 65 degree and sunny day. And in anti White Sox fashion of moving games, to avoid bad weather, the Cubs decided to play a game in uh, with a wind chill of about 30 degrees. It was the coldest I've ever been probably in my entire life, sitting out there for four or five hours. But they ended up taking the L there. Won their first series, beating Pittsburgh. Quintana looked lights out. Hamels the next day against the Angels looked lights out. So it was good to see those guys um, take care of business. Yesterday's game, oh, by yesterday, I mean Saturday, uh, Hendricks was pulled after five innings, only throwing 88 pitches, gave up three runs, gave up a fair amount of hits, but I still could have argued for him to see at least one or two more innings. Bullpen comes in, gives up three more, then the comeback, which was not a comeback, ended with a check swing called strike three on Kyle Schwarber, who I had a really good angle on it because I was working the left field line. Yeah, and I was right behind the umpire that made the call from – Double the distance. I didn't think it was a swing. Oh, I was going to say, watching it slow down on TV, when I saw it real time, I didn't think it was a swing. But, you know, you watch it slow down and his hands kind of break the plate. So I guess, you know, it, I I don't know. It, it could have gone either way. And I guess uh, Kyle did not agree with the way it went. Yeah, definitely. I was just wondering how the umpire, what was going through his head when Kyle Schwarber was in a full sprint towards him. <laughs> I, I mean, unless he was an Ed Hockey Lee style uh, official, I'd he's probably about ready to get off the field. I was curious. It was a three-two call, so either it was a strikeout or a walk based on the check swing. I want to say, like, if it was a two-two count when this happened, I think he's more likely to call it a ball because it doesn't affect mm-hmm. what happens next. That would have loaded the bases. Uh, they were only down one at the time, so. Yep. Who knows what could have happened? I'm not too worried about it. You can't be that mad at an umpire for making a call because there was, you know. Calls that go both ways all the time. Um, so Cubs went three and two. Uh, they did not play Sunday because of Chicago bear weather. Um, it is snowing still, I think, uh, four inches now. So I'm glad that they called that one off, but I'm not sure when they're going to be able to play the Angels again, probably yeah. after you know, a White Sox series. I was thinking when I saw that weather today, I'm like, this, you know, maybe this would have been some rocky weather for Tyler Chatwood, may help him get back into form. But uh, yeah, I guess he, he doesn't get that opportunity. Yeah, he's pitching for Lester, who got hurt uh, against uh, the Pittsburgh in the Pittsburgh game. He also only went two innings along with Jameson Tyon, and we'll definitely get into that as our big story of the week, as John Lester is now on the IL. But I actually want to start with our big story for the White Sox. We'll do a little flip flop action. Yeah, so I think you know there's a lot lot of stuff happened with the White Sox this week, but nothing more important than Eloy Jimenez's two home run game in New York on Friday night. Uh, you know, he'd been, like I said, he'd been hitting decently, but just a lot of singles, a lot of contact. And finally on Friday, just absolutely unloaded on two balls. I think one of them went, I want to say 400 and some feet to dead center. I think it was the, I read somewhere it was the second or the longest home run by a visitor in Yankee stadium in a couple of years. So certainly encouraging, uh, not to mention that it was like hurricane weather. So 
if he's out there putting balls in a monument park and that type of weather, that's encouraging. Cause you know, not a lot's going right for the Sox this year outside of him, Moncada and uh, Tim Anderson. I mean, we're watching Chris day or uh, Daniel Paul could get halfway to Chris Davis right now. Oh, for 27 to start the year. Yolmer has like three hits beef. Wellington Castillo has about two. So a lot of downside. So when we see Eloy putting balls over the fence, that helps spark a little bit more uh, hope in the rebuild. So, well, I wasn't worried about him, but if he can continue to put up some power like that, that's going to get people excited because White Sox Twitter was alive Friday night in ways we really hadn't seen in a while. Yeah, I was uh, watching those homer replays, and it was an absolute bomb. I still can't get over how ugly that swing is, but if it works, it works, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm excited about Eli, too, because I love the like what-could-have-been comparisons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Cubs side of it, Quintana – you know, going, I think it was seven innings yeah. with 11 Ks. So both sides of that trade look pretty good as yeah. of this week. I mean, I guess that if we're going to, while we're talking about that trade, Dylan Cease today in uh, Indianapolis, uh, he was in Indianapolis pitching for the Charlotte Knights. Uh, pretty good outing. I don't think he gave up a run. So, you know, if everybody in that, if Q can pitch like he did earlier in this week and Eloy and Cease can be, you know, what they're supposed to be, I think both sides will be happy with this one, especially if the Cubs, you know, Quintana's a major piece of them winning another title or going on another deep run. Yeah, I definitely um, liked the way uh, his breaking balls were looking. It was something I haven't seen yet out of him. And even more so, it was his best start as a Cub. I don't even think you can compare any of the other ones. So let's hope he can carry the momentum forward in that regard. Uh, anything else with Sox or should we jump back uh, to the north side? Uh, let's, you know, I... I want to go out on a high note talking about Eloy because there's plenty of negative for me to talk about. So let's go. Uh, let's take the red line up a little bit and see what's going on with the Cubs. Okay. So definitely more somber on the north side. Um, nothing to do with the record. No one's freaking out about the record anymore. Like they're five and nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the first week of baseball anymore. I think the the emotion of worrying is just so exhausting that it just can't be sustained for so long. Like people are still like not happy with where the team's at, but. It's just too, it's too exhausting to be just continuously worried. But one thing to be worried about is Lester going on the uh, IL, and he'll probably miss two or three starts. And it didn't happen when he was pitching. Um, he w- got a hit, stretched it to a double, which was questionable, slid in safe, and then on the next play, uh, on a single, scored from second base, once again sliding. Uh, supposedly pulled his hamstring, which I'm all too familiar with. It is not fun. Continued to pitch for the, uh, the top eight half of the inning afterwards and was taken out by Joe and was not happy about it. He looked visibly mad, but then I guess the I, the addition to the aisle makes it pretty clear that that was the right call. I just want to know, like, every time pitchers get hurt, either hitting or on the bases, the DH conversation comes up again. I know you're a hardcore AL mm-hmm. guy, but what do you think? What do you think's the next move here? So I kind of go back and forth on this issue because on one hand, I do like having a DH especially in today's age when people have shorter attention spans, you know, they want more offense, more excitement. I think having a DH can certainly add to that. And as an AL fan, you know, I like, I like that. I don't have to see Lucas Giolito or Ivan Nova go up there and try to hit. Cause uh, I have enough of their pitching. I don't need to see them at the plate. I'd rather see an extra bat in there. The one I do like though, with baseball that it, the two leagues, it's not just different conferences with names. It's actually two different rules. And I think that is an interesting twist that, I don't necessarily want to lose, but I do think all signs are pointing that the DH is not going to be a, or the pitcher's batting is probably going to go away in the next couple of years. I think 
the injuries certainly add a little bit of gasoline to that fire, but overall, I think the thing that's really going to push the needles, just having an extra batter in the lineup. I think teams now, how much they're paying people, they don't want to risk pitchers getting hurt sliding into home when they could just have another batter out there getting more at bats, which would make the game more exciting. So I think just from the owner's point of view, I don't see any reason this doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Like, I hate the designated hitter. I hate it. Um, just because nine guys in the field, nine guys should hit. It's just like I'm not an old school fan in any regards except for this. But it's time to rip the Band-Aid off. Like, I hate it, but it's 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 what's next. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen, so let's do it sooner rather than later um, just to get it over with, get people used to it again. Um the arguments against it are like, oh, there's no more strategy anymore for these managers. First of all, double switches aren't strategy. No. They're, they're just not. It's not hard. Everyone knows they're happening. If a pitcher's coming up, you make the defensive sub, you switch it out. It's just it's too easy. Like there's there's no strategy there anyway. The other part of the strategy is walking to get to the pitcher. Well, some pitchers can hit now anyway. We saw Lester has two, three hits of the season already. And I don't know, walking the pitcher isn't walking someone before the pitcher to get to the pitcher is it's just not strategy. So I don't understand the strategy argument at all. I guess, you know, people will say like, Oh, you need to pay attention more to the situations, but like on the flip side of that coin, if there's no pitcher batting, you have to be probably more in tune with pitching changes because you don't have the convenient time when the pitcher's coming up to bat. And you're like, well, got to pull them now. Yeah. You, you know, like it, it's tougher to gauge that. So I guess the strategy argument, I agree. Like, there's just some things that like everybody knows it's coming. So it's not like a chess match. I think some of the rule changes, like the three better minimum are going to have a much greater impact on strategy than not having a pitcher bat would. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think baseball as a whole in terms of more excitement and also speeding games up, taking away the double switches and all that, maybe it's, uh, it's just, it's inevitable. And it, like you said, at this point, it's time to just accept what's going to happen. Yeah, I think there's a couple guys on the Cubs that would be very happy with the rule change, Kyle Schwarber being one of mm-hmm. them. Um, although his fielding has gotten a lot better, but I mean, compared to what it was, and he has a freaking cannon for an arm, but people aren't running on him anymore on sack flies. Mm-hmm. It's just his ability to get to the ball is just is, is what's hurting him there. The other guy being Kyle Hendricks, who I think like three or four times already this year has been pulled way too early based on the batting situation, it'll be like the fifth inning. A guy will get on first base and Joe will pinch hit him because you need the runs when you can get him. and not too keen on that strategy, but it's situationally he's been kind of screwed out of at least like three or four extra innings just by the fact that he has to swing a bat. Yeah. And I mean, as a fan, what do you want? You want your starters like your aces going further into games or do you want them, you know, potentially batting and getting hurt? I mean, it's, you know, like as a Cubs, like I'm not a Cubs fan by any means, but I think I'd rather have, you know, Lester healthy, which I guess that's a hypothetical. He could get hurt doing anything, but I'd rather have, yeah, like you said, Hendricks pitching longer to the games. And, you know, you want Schwarber to be able to bat every day. Like, I, I think it's that's a no brainer. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of other NL teams that are kind of against it still, but I think of the NL teams, it probably helps the Cubs mm-hmm. more than any other team. Absolutely. Um, there's pitchers like Madison Bumgarner and Jake Arrieta who are com- like complain about the idea, and just because they're so beloved that the no DH movement just gets way more traction. And mm-hmm. I just think it's time to tell those guys to shut up and do what they're actually get paid to do right. instead of batting 155. 
Or if, you know, hey, they want to hit so bad, try to talk the managers into giving them a Shohei Otani uh, situation. Don't think it'll work, but, you know, no one says technically you have to DH for the pitcher. Yeah, or uh, a Rick Ankeel-esque type situation. <laughs> I think he was trying to make another comeback this year. I think it fizzled out, but he was that, ready yeah. to come back again. That Yeah, that which would have been real something, two comebacks, but uh, I guess the baseball gods didn't have it in their in the cards. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so also Victor Caratini going to the IL, which is actually a pretty bad blow. He's a backup mm-hmm. catcher. He's batting about five, 600. I mean, minimum at-bats, way too early in the yeah. season. But this was like his coming out party these first two weeks. Um, there was all this talk over the offseason of them trying to replace him, trying to find a different catcher to back up uh, Wilson Contreras. And he comes out has a decent spring, not great, and then comes in on fire every time he's asked. And it just really stinks that a, a broken hand four to six weeks he's going to be out is why he, he can't keep this hot start going. And it's it's just it's a bad situation because I feel like when he comes back, he's just not going to have that kind of mm-hmm. uh, mojo. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if you're going to get hurt at any point, you definitely don't want it getting in, into a hot streak. I guess if you're cold, it's one thing maybe take some time to work out whatever was going on. But, yeah, in that situation, you just want to let the guy, especially a younger player, kind of – just ride the wave. Definitely. All right, moving on. Those are our big stories. Now we're going to MLB talk. And obviously, I think the most entertaining, the best story, depending on who you ask, obviously, has been Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles finally breaking a horrible, horrible Daniel Palka-esque streak of 62 straight at-bats without a hit. And then he gets three hits against the Yankees. And I thought it was excellent. I love Chris Davis because he's like the last of the like just beefcake mm-hmm. sluggers. I guess Daniel Vogelbach is, is showing us that that's not entirely true. But he kept the ball, which I thought was hilarious. Like, yeah, that you just see him. He gets to first and just, you know, you see him pointing out into the outfield like he's a rookie. Like, yeah, I guess at least he's you know, somebody who could make fun of himself like that. That's, you know, that's good to see. Yeah, he's embracing it, which is good. I just listened to one of his interviews. First of all, never realized how much of a Southern accent he had, which is hilarious. But then he made, he made actually a really good point. For the Orioles, who their ceiling's not too high, they um, had a lot, have had a lot of good things going on so far. They beat, the, beat up on the Yankees. They have a couple really good wins against the Red Sox. And all that was overshadowed by the fact that their you know their first baseman slash dh just can't get a hit so all those things other things were being ignored yeah which they've actually i mean i don't nobody expects them to keep up the start they've had but you know that eh, like i guess it's it is something that that's been the big story especially given how much people overreact to good starts by teams in the early weeks of the season you know you mentioned a daniel palka-esque streak so that's what i want to go now so i i didn't look into this before i've been meaning to look it up but I got to imagine at 0 for 28 now, he's the only, he might be the only guy left or has the longest streak going, I'd have to imagine. But another interesting thing about Chris Davis' streak, the pitcher he had gotten a hit off before this whole thing started, uh, big game Jimmy Shields for the White Sox last season. So, uh, you know, a lot of guys got hits off of him the last couple of years, but. Uh, yeah, it, hurts just, when it hurts when it's Chris Davis. <laughs> yeah. I, I And like, you know, this Chris Davis, because, you know, we got two of them now, so we got to. Thing. You know, the other one's got 10 home runs. He's going absolutely off, which leads me to believe, you know, I could, I think the most White Sox thing ever would be trading for, uh, they, they make a big deal for Chris Davis thinking it's the one on the A's. And then, you know, Kenny Williams shows up spring training next year. And it's just the one from the Orioles and just realizing horrible mistake was made, but we're all obsessed in, with baseball with like records and things like that. The DiMaggio 
hit streak record is something that everyone points to, but the opposite is almost equally entertaining this if is, you ask me. I think this is like over what what was it? Fifty four was it what he ended at? I think sixty two. I think you know that I think that's harder to get than the hit streak. Like as I guess if you want to do the math, it's whatever's batting average is multiplied sixty however many times together. So the odds of that happening are like literally nothing. You know, the hit streak, while nobody's done it, you could go one for four every game, hit 250, and still get a 56-game hit streak. Like, it's unlikely, but I think this streak is – I don't think we're going to see anything like this ever again because normally guys that are bad enough to go that long without a hit aren't going to be up or they're going to get taken out of the lineup. I think Chris Davis was the perfect uh, mix of somebody who is the boomer bust strikeout or home run swing while also being – you know, he's making a – pretty good amount of money so he they're not he's not going anywhere yeah definitely the contract kept him up now i'm gonna i'm putting you on the spot now pat this isn't the final question we also get to that but who holds i got this in the first try by the way when my my old man brought this question up to me so pressure's on who has the longest game hit streak in white Sox history white Sox history mm-hmm. we're counting with the white Sox, right so i don't get to a default to 2016 white Sox legend jimmy rollins correct um I want to say the last year he played for the Sox was 04. And this is this is the year that it happened as well. Was it Jose Valentin? It was not Jose Valentin. It was Carlos uh, Lee. Really? Yeah, I think it was in mid-20s. I think 27, think, 28, which is still pretty I'm, good. Yeah, I was going to say, I would not have expected El Caballo to be there. He doesn't seem like that kind of hitter, but I guess, you know, uh, the waves of time may have erased some of that memory from me. Yeah, I mean, if he played... 56 straight games against the Chicago Cubs or 57, he would have the record 100%. I will also never forgive him because I was at a Sox game in the front row of the bleachers and he robbed a Alex Rodriguez, Texas Rangers home run for me. It was damn near halfway in my mitt when it got pulled away. Oh man. You just hate to see that. Yeah. Especially like an a rod. Yeah. Like, you know, that would have been worth something these days. Yeah, definitely. That is MLB news because honestly, what else is going on besides Chris Davis not doing guess, anything? Yeah, that's the major thing. Uh, now you got the Mariners staying hot, but again, you know the White Sox were in 2016 were one of the best teams in baseball. So I'll give it till May till I start believing in anything like that. Yeah, the Mariners definitely tearing it up. So if you don't follow the mayor of Section 509 on Twitter, you definitely should. Because recently, Pat, you have been very down on the Ricky Renteria boat. What are you feeling, man? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, so I've, you know, I've had a lot of questions recently uh, about our uh, fearless leader, Ricky Renteria. He just, you know, it, there's been a lot of decisions made. Bullpen management, I think, has been my biggest thing where, like, you know, Ivan Nova's going strong. He's thrown 93 pitches Saturday, which it's a lot, but he's a veteran. You know, he knows what to do. You know, he pulls him out. Just and we give it to the bullpen, which, you know, that game, not necessarily their fault. But, you know, it's just knowing that awareness. And then I guess, okay, fine, it's Yolmer Sanchez's fault for booting that booting that ground ball, but why is he continuing to play him there? You know, like, is the guy clearly not a major league level player? You know, he's got four errors in 10 games. So why is he still playing over Jose Rondon? And then he started today. So again, why, just why is this happening? You can say all you want. Ricky's boys don't quit. They don't do this. They don't do that. He's changing the culture. You know, I guess he can come out there and be a hardo and bench uh, Wellington Castillo for not running out of ground ball last year, but... I, you know, there's just been too many bad decisions made. He doesn't know how to manage a bullpen. Uh, he's batting Wellington Castillo fourth, so obviously he doesn't know how to build a lineup. He's playing guys that shouldn't be out there. You know, not 
I'm not criticizing the lineup he was given, but he's not playing the guys that are on that lineup that should be out there. So I just think, you know, this guy, he's clearly not the answer. And I'm, we need to move on before this turns into a Robin Ventura situation for five years. Do you think they can in midseason if it gets really bad? I don't think so only because it's a Jerry Reinsdorf franchise and Jerry Reinsdorf franchise. Well, you know, I would say they don't fire guys, but you know, Fred Hoiberg got the heave ho pretty early on this year. I don't think there's anybody. It's not like a, I guess, you know, they believed in Jim Boyle and the bulls. So they gave him a shot. I don't think they have anybody on their staff. So I think if anything, maybe they get to the end of the year, you know, with the series left and they give him the Ozzie Guillen treatment and just kind of let him go home and let Don Cooper, uh, run the show for a couple days. But I, I think more likely we're looking at an off season thing here. Cause if the white Sox were ever going to fire a manager mid season, it would have happened in 2015 or 2016 with Robin Ventura. And it didn't. So, yeah, I think they kind of missed an opportunity to go after Brad Osmus. Yep. Um, especially a guy who knows the division pretty well with Detroit did mm-hmm. not have the best it goes with Detroit. Now he's, uh, I'm still calling him Anaheim. I refuse to call him the LA <laughs> angels. Um, so he's new, new skipper with the angels. So if Ricky's not the guy, which it seems to be your opinion that he's not, who mm-hmm. do you want? Like of, of the guys that are out there, I've yep. got a guy in my mind. I'm wondering to see if you agree with me, but go ahead. I've, I've had two, I have two names. One, a little bit more of a reach and the other, a little bit more of a legitimate candidate. I'm a big, like, I like catchers managing. I think especially a young rebuilding team with a lot of young starting pitchers. I think having a former catcher out there would be good for this team. So, you know, some of the bigger names out there, like Joe Girardi, I think would be a horrendous fit for this organization. Just where they're at, you know, there were some claims coming out of New York. He couldn't relate to the younger players, and that's why he got fired after an ALCS berth. So I'm thinking a little bit outside the box here of I would what I want to call legitimate candidates. I would probably start with Sandy Alomar. Uh, he's currently the first base coach, I believe, for the Cleveland Indians. So he has coaching experience. He played for the Sox for a while, and I think sometime in the late or – mid 2000s he was mark burley's personal catcher had a couple stints with the team so he knows the organization which i like he might not be as uh, energetic or out there as ozzy but it would kind of be a similar situation where they bring in a former player who has some coaching experience so i think sandy alomar just his knowledge of the game he's been around he was a catcher i think he would be a great fit for this organization um especially with the younger players and a lot of prospects coming coming up i think he'd be a good fit there now I'm going to give you my reach guy. I, uh, I could already guess who it's going to be, but go ahead. So I thought about this because I there were a couple names I was thinking of, but the one guy who I would love for them to bring in would be AJ Pierzynski. Again, it. I'm a catcher. I'm a catcher guy. I think he'd be, you know, so he has that knowledge. He played for a long time in the MLB. You know, he's been, I guess, a broadcaster, which, you know, maybe Aaron Boone, he'll that'll work. I don't know. Um, I think the thing I like about AJ, though, is, you know, he'd bring a fire to this team that they don't have right now. You know, Ricky can get out there and bench guys for not running it out, but I don't think he like he's just not that type of guy. I think I think AJ being a recent player would be able to come out there, you know, give the young guys the time they need, but also change the culture a little bit. Kind of like, you know, Ozzy did back in 04. He came in, you know, just disrupted things, just put on a show. You know, he's the type of manager that if things aren't going well, he's willing to get out there and just kind of start kicking dirt, throwing stuff around and get himself kicked out to take the pressure off his players. And I think AJ would be, you know, again, knows this organization. He played here for years, has that villain mentality. And I think he would be an excellent fit. Yeah. So when you say AJ, that's when people like bring up the idea of David Ross mm-hmm. coaching the Cubs. And I can't stand that idea either. <laughs> I think it's f- foolish. That's the meatball uh, choice. That's the meatball. 
definitely a meatball choice. And we mentioned in the before the first episode, mm-hmm. the occasional meatball rant will yep. be part of the Shules Go podcast. So we're living up to it. <laughs> My choice does not check all the boxes of what you're looking for. Um, but I like uh, Terry Collins, the former Mets coach. And what I mean he doesn't check the boxes is because he's old and cranky, which would be really hard for him to relate to the players. But that guy, man, had some pretty not great lineups with the Mets and did some pretty impressive things. And I feel like there would definitely he'd, he'd definitely have to bring on like a younger bench coach mm-hmm. to bridge that gap uh, in the same way that uh, Joe Madden had Davey Martinez. But I think Collins would be uh, a not a great fit, but uh, it would be a sign that the Sox were ready to make moves. Yeah, I basically. just I don't I don't think there's any internal candidates, so that's again why I don't think they. I think the only way they fire Ricky midseason if they, is if there's somebody internal they're looking at, and like Don Cooper's over the hill at this point. I don't think they're going internal. It's got to be external. So I just I think what this team needs is somebody to come in and light a spark. Like you know, obviously, like a guy like Ozzy was what they did back in the day. And eventually that wears off, but I think right now when this team's really on the verge of is this rebuild going to work or is it is everything going to crash and burn, I think they need somebody to come in there and throw some gasoline on the fire and just see what happens. They've had Robin Ventura followed by Ricky Renteria, and I just I think they need somebody that's going to come in there and disrupt things. Bring in uh, Nolan Ryan. <laughs> yeah, just the guy who well, knocked out uh, Robin Ventura. So I guess, yeah, the flip side of that. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll, do, we'll definitely have a baseball brawls conversation <laughs> coming up. Next time there's like a really good one, I should say mm-hmm. we should we should bring up our favorites. I know me and Sam talked about it a little bit last week, but more of a kind of discussed thing than anything else. Yeah. So I'm gonna throw it right back at you. We do this every week. Who was the White Sox Player of the Week? Uh, this week, I, I, it's Eloy Jimenez. There's no doubt. There are a couple other guys at decent weeks. Tim Anderson hit a grand slam, but the story of the week was Eloy hitting those two home runs. So I think you know to give it to anybody else would kind of be sacrilege, so to speak. You know. He finally showed the power we needed, and he did it on the road, his first game in Yankee Stadium, probably one of the bigger stages in baseball. So I think, without a doubt, i got to give it to Eloy here. Okay, so for the Cubs, there was two, possibly three good choices. I'm going with Jose Quintana, though. Um, 11Ks is is impressive. He looked fantastic, mm-hmm. shut him down completely, um, got the series win. So, I mean, that was a no-brainer for me. Second place honorable mention, though, goes to Cole Hamels. Um, what I liked the most was he used his changeup 24 times throughout the eight innings that he went, and um, I think he had only used it 27 times the entire earlier part of the season. So willing to mix up those pitches and trying to keep batters off balance, especially that third time through the lineup, which you're going to face if you go at seven, eight innings, that's why he gets the honorable mention. I was also thinking, so I guess this is players, I'm not giving it to Wilson Contreras. But he did have two absolute bombs in a, in a game against the Angels in which the wind was, was gusting out, but came up really short um, in the second game against the Angels, striking out with guys on second and third and one out. So uh, things would have been a little different if he uh, got an RBI. Maybe he gets the top spot for me this week, but alas, it is not the case. So Sam and I were talking about it just goofing off last week about random players you may have forgot about. And I think we alluded to the fact that we were going to make this a weekly segment as well, because it's actually a lot of fun looking up these random guys, having some fun facts about them. So we're doing random Cub, random White Sox. I'm going to start with you, Pat. Who did you pick this week? Share a little information about them, why you liked them, why you hated them. Who do you got? So I think, you know, I had to go with a good one for this first one. And mine is Rob McCoyack. 
a native oh, of Oaklawn, Illinois. So, you know, a Chicago guy. There's a thing or two about playing under the bright lights at 35th and Shields. Uh, come some of the reasons I picked him. He was a 53rd round pick by the Pirates. So that's, you know, odds are against him. Works his way up through the major, starts with Pittsburgh, and then comes to the White Sox in 06, uh, right after the World Series. So just uh, just missed that, came home here to play. Uh, jumped around. Really only, he only played for the Sox 06 and part of 07 before they traded him to the Padres. Uh, so, you know, he was a journeyman, made some stops with the Nationals, the Reds, the Mets, played some in, uh, independent league ball, uh, the Indians. I think my favorite thing about him, though, it's not anything about the White Sox. He was not a memorable player by any means. But in 2010, he uh, had signed with the Windy City Thunderbolts. I believe they're now the Joliet uh, Slammers. I, I think they changed. But anyways, he was supposed to be their hitting coach. Uh, and midseason, he came out of retirement to start playing third base. So the rare hitting coach to active player transition there, which you don't see that often. So I think, you know, Mr. McCoyak was a good way to start this segment off. Yeah, that is the epitome of grit. And that's exactly what we're looking for, right? We're mm -hmm. looking for this guy that you may have forgot about. And there's all these fun facts about these guys who, once they left the Cubs or the Sox, you kind of lost track of them. So I'm going with one of my all-time favorite Cubs, actually, um, in sweaty Joe Borowski. Joe Borowski was from New Jersey, which makes him that much more entertaining. And he was the Cubs closer during that 2003 run. So for obvious reasons, he got the name Sweaty Joe because by the time he was done warming up in the pen, the, the sweat was already dripping off the front of his brim. So he'd come in, kind of a heavier set guy, and did a pretty good job and shut him down. But that was in the middle of his career. He was a 32nd round draft pick by the Chicago White Sox in 1989. Ooh, a little never, cross on action. Yeah, never played for them. He played in the Mexican League a little bit too, but he made his debut in 1995 with the Orioles, then made a jump to the Braves in 96-97. Yankees, 97-98. and 98. Then there's that Wikipedia gap. What was he doing? Well, turns out he was a fireman. Ooh. So he definitely would have been a lot sweatier at that job. So I'm, I'm assuming they correlate mm -hmm. some sort of way. But if you thought Joe Borowski was sweaty after, you know, 30 pitches in the bullpen, you can only imagine when he's, you know, saving lives. So yeah, definition of grit. Definitely. So then he joined the Cubs uh, 2001 to 2005. Um, and that's where he was the Cubs closer in 2003. They signed him to a pretty good deal. Um, and then he got hurt, got replaced by Ryan Dempster. We all know how that experiment went with him as closer. And another journeyman here went to the Rays, Marlins, and Indians. He ended his career in 07 or in 2008. In 2007, he was the AL saves leader. Ooh. which is something you don't ever remember him being, nope. which is, is pretty cool. One of my favorite facts about him, though, just because the name of this organization is so wild, in 2004, he accepted an award from the Polish-American Polish Association, also known as PAPA, <laughs> as a distinguished, distinguished Polish-American. So he was the perfect fit for uh, the White Sox oh. and the Cubs with, with the Chicago-Polish background. But uh, I love me some Sweaty Joe oh. and... All the good Cub fans do too. Pillar, pillar of the community and a first responder can't beat that. Yeah, like true American through and through. Just takes you know, baseball's not working out. I'm gonna go you know save babies from yeah. high rises. Can't beat that. Definitely a successful first random Cub random sock. Oh, yeah. I think 
it's almost like one of those like where are they now but yeah that's usually f- of about people you used to know as opposed to just like oh yeah i remember that game. <laughs> all right pat this is concluding our episode of week week four i can't believe we lasted a month congratulations Crazy. hey you know the first month they say is the hardest so let's just keep that train going yeah, um, as we end every episode, though, this might actually stretch out a little bit because it's a good question. Okay, Pat, you were not aware of this question beforehand. I have an answer ready because one of us has to know. Mm-hmm. But here it is. If you were to ban fans at a baseball game from doing one action, what would it be? Like, what about fans? Like, something they do, they just can't do anymore. A wave. That, it, that's it. That's the only answer. The wave. I don't want you standing up. I don't want you screaming "woo" as you go by. No, that's dead. It's gone. You know, it just it shouldn't be happening anymore. I'm tired of it. I see it every game I'm at, even when there's ten thousand people there. No wave. I'm done with the wave. The wave is over. Let's leave it in the '90s. Not just baseball. Every sporting event. I don't want it anymore. Just that. That beats. A, there's a lot of things that grind my gears. That's it, though. I no. I just no wave. Very anti-wave, and I agree with you. I think it's such a dumb thing. Um, when I was in Europe, though, watching soccer, it was awesome to see <laughs> because you, the whole stadium would actually get involved mm-hmm. with it. But that doesn't happen at baseball games. I no, saw it, the, my problem here is the upper deck goes faster than the lower deck, so it's just asymmetrical. It looks dumb. It's just bad. It's a bad look. If you could even get it going, I saw a handful, and that's being you know soft on it, of four-person waves that just died, yeah. and that there's nothing sadder than that. So what's right, my end of that? Yeah, is roll call. Oh, the Yankees? So it's not just the Yankees, and ah. that's that's what's the problem. Um, the Yankees started it, and I think, think just in general, it's really sad to see grown-ass men waiting for baseball players to wave at them because mm-hmm. that's how sure. roll call goes. Let's say, you know, they've got Glaber Torres. They'll chant Glaber Torres over and over again, and the only way to get them, them to stop is Torres will turn and wave to them. Cubs fans do it too, and it is – just the dumbest thing. I don't know. I just I can't stand yeah. it. Grown ass men like trying to get recognition from players, and like they'll they'll do like the hobby bias chant. Mm-hmm. He'll he'll just like tip his mitt at them, and then the whole bleachers will go nuts. And I'm just thinking to myself, I was like, how how lame is is life these days? If you get your kicks from like getting waved at by another adult who's probably younger than you playing a child's game. I guess that's the '90s version of getting a player to like your tweet. So yeah, let's leave it in the '90s though. Yeah. Again, waves. Yeah, it's just it's a new team. Let's move on. Definitely. All right. So that's our show. We will be back at the same time next week. Get uh, probably release this around eight in the morning so that you can listen during your morning commute. Cubs, Sox, MLB, you got it all. Pat, thank you once again for showing up and I'll talk to you next week. Hopefully we have some uh, better news to chat about. Yeah, let's hope so. Great talking to you again as always. All right. Cheers, Pat.